Check, check. Yes, we are in business. All right. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8 today in chapter 21. If I can get find it. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that they would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't know where and how God speaks to you. But one of the ways... Oh, it's up here. Oh, great. Wow. Awesome. One of the ways that God speaks to me, one of the places God speaks to me in Charlottesville is at Barnes & Noble. I've had several strange encounters there with people in line, and I've met several people sitting by the magazine racks looking through the things that I'm interested in. But this particular week, I believe this was on Thursday, I was there and I was just picking up my coffee, half-calf as usual, and a gentleman who I've met three or four times on the downtown mall, um, also in barracks, he tends to kind of walk around barracks quite a bit, Uh, he and I have had multiple conversations, and so this day was no different. I said hi to him, and he said hello, exchanged our little greetings, and I was putting the sugar and the cream in my coffee over at the little side table. And this gentleman looked at me and he said, you know, you're passive aggressive. (laughs) I was like, okay, okay. Thank you, Lord. And he said, you know, I would hate to be someone in your church (laughs) because you're so passive aggressive. I was like, okay, okay, thanks, Lord, again. This is feeling good. And uh, so I proceeded to go to my computer, which was sitting up near the front of Barnes & Noble, and I googled, what is (laughs) passive-aggressive? I read through the different descriptions of what passive-aggressive is, and so the next thing I googled was, how to stop being (laughs) passive-aggressive. Because it was obvious, thank you, Lord, that it was true about my life. And so I processed you know, Lord, what am I angry at? Why do I do this to people? This is terrible. And so I spent the rest of the afternoon, as I was preparing the sermon also, walking around Fashion Square Mall, everybody's other favorite place in Charlottesville. (laughs) It was just too hot to be outside. And so I did laps of Fashion Square Mall with lots of the other elderly folks that were doing laps of Fashion Square Mall. And as I was walking, I just felt this sense of doom. The sense of, 
I am worse than I ever thought. (laughs) I have more problems than I could probably even describe. And it was reiterated to me as I went to lunch on Friday with Christy, and I was like, babe, as I've been processing this passive-aggressive thing and knowing that I do this, I tend to, like, be nice to people to their face and then cut them behind their back. Awful. Lord, heal me. You know, I tend to be pouty when I don't get my way. Again, part of passive-aggressiveness. I also tend to procrastinate when I've been asked to do something that I don't like to do because, again... I'm being passive-aggressive. You're procrastinating at work? Yep, you're passive-aggressive too. Um, But the sense of doom was reiterated by Christy. I said, Christy, it must be hard to be married to someone like me. Hoping for some reinforcement of like, no, no. (laughs) She just grabbed another piece of sushi and put up to her mouth. And I was like, enough said? Enough said. And we moved on to the rest of the meal. I laugh about that a little bit, but I did really experience a pretty dark afternoon there at Fashion Square Mall, being reminded of how nasty I can be sometimes. And, you know, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, as we've looked at their story, we've seen how they've had some pretty nasty, awful things in their life, too reasons that they should feel the darkness in their own heart, the doom that we all occasionally face in our life. Let me give examples. In chapter 16, Sarah decides, all right, we're going to take matters into our own hand. I want you to sleep with my servant. Of course. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What a great solution to this problem of not having a baby yet. So much doom. Y'all, Proverbs 28, verse 26 says this, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. That's basically what Abraham and Sarah were doing there. They were being fools. They were being foolish. They were trusting in their own mind that they could figure it out, that we can fix this problem. Yes, God's promised us a son. We got a quick fix for it. We can do this. We just put our minds to the problem. Chapter 12, we saw that Abraham says that his wife is his sister. And so she enters the harem of the king. And then, unbelievably, as we studied last week, it happens again in chapter 20. They come up to another king, and he's like, this is my sister. Save my skin. Yeah, you go ahead and go to the harem of this other king. No problem. Honey, honey, can you do this little favor for me so I can save my own skin? Foolish, y'all, foolish. And then on top of that, chapter 18, Sarah literally laughs at God in the face of God when he tells her that a year from that point she'll have a baby. I looked up the definition of cynical because I think that's what the laugh was that she gave in the face of God. It was a cynical laugh. And cynicism is doubt as to whether something will happen or whether it is worthwhile. Skeptical, doubtful, distrustful, suspicious, disbelieving. That's what cynicism is. And we've all experienced cynicism in our lives, have we not? And then lastly, we see all kinds of doubt around the life of Abraham. In fact, when we were studying chapter 15, 
we saw how there were multiple points in his interactions with God, the God of the heavens, the God of the universe, where he doubts what's happening. He's like, Lord, how can I be sure that you're going to come through for me? How can I be sure I'm going to have a son? Can you reassure? I mean, doubt, doubt, one after the other. We see that pattern throughout the life of Abraham and Sarah. There's a little bit of doom here in this story. There's a little bit of darkness, and it can get somewhat depressing. But thankfully, by God's grace, we have chapter 21. And here we are in chapter 21. And what we find out is that this whole story is not really about Abraham and Sarah. This whole story is about God. What he's doing, what he has done, and what he's going to do in the future. So let's dive into that this morning. We'll look at it from several different angles. The first one is we're going to see that there's a power behind the universe that that can tackle the doom before us. There's a power behind the universe. Also, that power behind the universe does incredible things. We're going to look at the way God does the impossible here in our story. And then finally, we're going to conclude with the graciousness of God, which is a beautiful place to conclude. And we're going to see the happiness that overrides all of this doom that I just mentioned from the life of Abraham and Sarah. So first of all, God was true to his word. Let's read it in the passage. Chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Y'all, God is fulfilling his word. When he says something, when God says something, he does it. His promises can be trusted from beginning to end. And he is reassuring not just Abraham and Sarah of the fact that he's a God with power who will always be true to his word, but he's assuring us here at the beginning of Scripture, I will, I will come through on my promises. Even though you might not feel it in the moment, even though you might have been worried about it, I will always come through. I, my word never fails. Isaiah chapter 55 puts it this way. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Y'all, we can trust in the word of God. Always. And this is just one sweet example of that truth. Now, I want to acknowledge something, though. Along the lines of trusting in God's word is this concept that it's hard to trust in God's word because of this. Let me see if I can get this to work real quick. Let's see. Here we go. And we have, yes. All right. So here, check this out. I'll turn it sideways so you can see it better. I don't know if you read this this week, but um, Bible prophecy fulfilled as first red heifer that's been born in 2,000 years, signaling end of days. I don't know if y'all saw this article. It's from a tabloid, admittedly, in England. But um, one of my friends said, look, a biblical prophecy 
has been fulfilled as a red heifer was born, signaling the end of days and the coming of the Messiah in both Christianity and Judaism. Thank you, Henry Holloway, for alerting us to this momentous time. And now, it's a little bit disappointing, because if you go down the article a little bit, it says the Temple Institute announced the birth of an entirely red female calf that brings the promise of reinstating biblical purity to the world. Yay. Um, Red heifers feature in end times tales in both Christianity and Judaism. You're welcome. Um, It precedes the construction of a third temple. But here's the hard part for me. Um, It's down here. It says, um, well, let's see if I can skip to it. Sorry. Okay, weird pictures. Um, The cow went under extensive examination by rabbinical experts who confirmed she is a viable candidate for the biblical red heifer. Here's the problem. Here's what made me tear up. They admitted, however, the cow could be disqualified through natural causes. Sorry, y'all. It could, the, the cow could be disqualified. All right, why do I bring this up? Besides it just being a random funny story. Y'all, that is but one example of what has been happening over literally the last 2,000 years. Lots of people, including myself, don't always love the timing of God's word. <laughs> God has promised us. He said in his word, he's promised, I am coming back. There will be an end of times. There will be an end of days. But you may not love my timing. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But y'all, that's, that's a broad picture of God's timing. It's perfect. We can trust it. It's perfect. It's not going to be on our timetable. But y'all, the hard thing comes not when we think of end of days and these silly articles that come out every few weeks on uh, whatever tabloid site. The hard thing is when we're waiting for a job offer. Are we waiting for test results from the doctor? Are we waiting for test results at school? Are we waiting for a family member to come back to us who has been estranged from us? Y'all, that's when the rubber meets the road, and sometimes it can be very difficult to trust in God's timing. But I hope that you can see with me that in the life of Abraham and Sarah, God is reiterating to us, you can trust my word. You can trust my promises. They are going to come true. Hang tight. Hang tight. Okay, so that's the first thing we see here. We see that God has come through on his word to Sarah. She had the baby. She got pregnant at 90 years old and she had the baby. It's incredible. And so that moves us into our second point, y'all. God did the impossible. The first thing that we can have when we face the doom of this world or the doom of our own heart, the first thing we just looked at, there's a power behind the universe. Secondly, God, that power behind the universe, he does the impossible. And he does the impossible on a regular basis. The the Bible makes it very clear here. It reiterates that um, when uh, Abraham, verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. This is in the, the Hebrew, it's hard to come through in the English translation, is strong in that verse. It's saying, this is incredible. God has come through on his promise and he has done the impossible. A, a, a husband and wife at 90 and 100 have had a child. The promise is being fulfilled before our eyes. The text, wants to, the text here wants to reiterate that this child being born 
was not by Abraham and Sarah. It was not by their good effort. It was not by their cleverness. It was by God himself. He is the star of the show in this passage. Y'all, here's what Hebrews says about this same passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead. Think about that. And they had a child. When God's word moves in, things change. The situation can change. Y'all, it's true about us too. This isn't true just for Abraham and Sarah. How do we know that? Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. As good as dead. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's the final point about the starring role of God in this story of Abraham. First, he is the power behind what happened. Secondly, his word comes true. He does the impossible. And lastly, he's gracious. And the NIV translation that comes out a little clearer. Does anybody have the NIV open right now? Can you read the first first verse of chapter 21? First verse 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The Lord was gracious to Sarah. Y'all, why? You have to ask that question, why? Why does God save Sarah and Abraham from doom? They have failed him over and over. They have doubted him over and over. They have screwed up over and over. They have been cynical. They have been unfaithful. Why? Why, God? Why does he come with power to keep his promise? Why does he do the impossible in their lives? Why? He shouldn't. What's grace, though? He is gracious. He was gracious to Sarah. What that means is, God did for them what they absolutely did not deserve. That's grace. Y'all, this is the first occurrence of grace in the Bible. Right here. This is it. But it is certainly not the last. There is a thread There's a theme that weaves its way all the way through the Bible that this God, this power behind the universe, this one who does the impossible, does it out of grace because he's just gracious. It's who he is. Let me me explain that from looking at a couple other Bible passages. There's a pattern we see in Scripture. When God meets with Moses at Mount Sinai and describes himself to Moses, He says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. When God set up the tabernacle for himself to live in the midst of the Israelites and to set up priests to serve in that tabernacle, he gave those priests a benediction. We do it here sometimes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. 
There's a songbook in the middle of the Bible called Psalms. And God's people were singing it back to God. And they said this in Psalm 103, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isaiah 30, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Joel 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Y'all, the grace of God is the motivation to turn back to God. Not you better clean yourself up. You better get back. You've been screwing up. Doom. Doom I pronounce on you. No, that is not at all how the scriptures draw us back to God. The scriptures draw us back to God by saying, He relents. Turn to Him now. He is, he is waiting for you to jump back into His arms. Why? Because you've been awesome? Because this week you didn't screw up as bad as you screwed up the week before? Not according to the story of Abraham and Sarah. The reason that he is excited for you to jump back into his arms is because it's who he is. It's who he is. He is gracious. He is full of grace. It says it about Jesus in the New Testament, y'all. It says the word became flesh in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came from the Father and he's full, full of grace and truth. Amen? Y'all, it's how we're saved. The Bible says this in Acts 15. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And then Ephesians 2, chapters, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. How amazing, how amazing that we get to see this picture weaved all the way through the scriptures, and this is the first instance right here with Sarah and Abraham. God was gracious to Sarah. You're going to see this pattern repeated throughout scriptures. And it's going to be repeated throughout our lives. It is why we're here this morning. We're not here because we were clever. Or we decided, I'm going to be a good person. We're here because God, at some point in our lives, poured out his grace into our hearts and and, and drew us to himself. Okay, so let's look now at some practical applications from this. Okay, so... God, there's, there's doom. We feel the doom of this life, but God is going to be faithful to his word. God is going to do the impossible. He does the impossible in our lives. And whoa, God is gracious. Wow. Over and over and over again. So how do Abraham and Sarah respond to this grace that God gives so amazingly in this story? Well, first is we see that Abraham obeys. It says, Abraham immediately took his son and did exactly what God told him to do, name him. And what does he name him? Laughter. Because this is incredible. (laughs) Because grace has come. And you're going to laugh a lot when the grace comes into your life. There's going to be some happiness. And so Isaac is just one picture of that. The second thing that Abraham does is he takes, it says, as God commanded him, Abraham took his son, and when he was eight days old, he had him circumcised. He draws him immediately into the family of God, and we see the fact that he is connected with God. So the first thing that God's grace leads to in our lives is obedience. It's, we obey out of joy. Abraham's like, yes, I have a son. 
course I'm going to dedicate him to God. This is unbelievable. I'm 100 years old. And then, and then secondly, we also see this thing right here. This happens for both Sarah and Abraham, y'all. They are just giddy. You could just imagine how Sarah's like, <laughs> they throw a feast. They invite all their friends. Y'all, the defining characteristic of a person's life when grace has moved in, joy. Joy. And it's something that is shared. That's the thing about this feast. Abraham says, hot dog. Everybody, we're having a, we're having a cookout at my house and I'm going to show you this miracle that God did in our lives. We have a son. Get over here. And that's also what grace does in people's lives. You, it, it draws in others. We become joyful as God's grace moves into our lives. And then you can't help but share it. It's like your favorite hobby, but way better. You can't help but share your favorite hobby. If you are in love with fishing, people around you ask them. People are sick of hearing about fishing. <laughs> Or whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe your favorite TV show is the thing. They're sick of hearing you talk about the TV show. But, the, but it's, y'all, I use that as a funny example. But it's just true in our lives. When joy gets hold, watch out. It is contagious. It spreads like wildfire. It's what we're going for at Christ Central Church. I don't have to stand up here and be like, hey, you need to do this and you got to do that. And we got to invite people and this has got to happen. And oh, this is going to be bad. It's just, nope. Jesus, grace, joy, it's going to happen. It's that simple. It's God's plan for his church, always has been. Chapter 21 of Genesis, here's where it gets going, y'all. Grace, joy, contagious. It's really that simple. Now, let me ask a practical question as we conclude. If you're like me, and you probably are because you're human, I often ask the question, Lord, why don't I have more joy? Where did it go? Like I hear that guy up front, that preacher guy going, have joy, grace, woo! You know, and I'm, sit- I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm like, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, what am I having for lunch? <laughs> like, life gets you beat down. I'm cynical. You know, let's be honest. Monday through Friday, I feel more doom. I feel more ugh. I feel more conflict then I feel joy. What's up with that? What's the deal? What's going on? Well, let's, let's talk about that. I think one of the things that's going on, at least for myself, and this may be true for you, is the fact that we prefer to think of ourselves as good gals and good guys. We just do. I prefer that mode of operation. I like to wake up in the morning and be like, you know what? I'm not so bad after all. Yes, I've got some character flaws. Yes, Christy wishes she could live in a tree instead of at our house. But I'm a good, I'm a pretty good chap. I help out people when they call me. I occasionally will return a text. But this week was just a fresh reminder because as I finished up that walk at Fashion Square Mall, it just struck me freshly. Huh. Who would have thunk it? Even me. Even this guy. This messed up, 
nasty, passive-aggressive, name a hundred other problems, but don't. Don't name right now. I can't handle it. Even me could experience the grace of God and be changed. What? Because that's what's going on with Sarah. I don't know if you noticed that in the passage. At verse 7, you can't, it's hard to capture it in the English, but what's happening in the Hebrew is, who would have thunk it? We've talked about this before when we, when we looked at this same passage. Sarah's like, I don't deserve this. I, I really don't. When you get to that point, and it's, it's, a, it's a terrible journey there, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to warn you. But when you get to the point where you're like, I don't deserve this, y'all, the joy comes in like a flood. It's like a hose has been turned on. Because you finally truly believe, who would have thunk it? God would do this grace in my life. Exercise for you. Try it out. If you want a little more, if you want a little more of that joy, and you want to discover a little bit more about uh, your own heart, just ask the people around you. <laughs> but be warned. I did it with Christy. This, you're not probably going to love the answer, but do it. Do it. Try it. Ask the cl- people that are closest around you. Be like, what am I really like? Don't sugarcoat it. Don't hide things from me. Just tell me, what am I really like? And y'all, a little doom will enter in, yes, but the joy will come back freshly. Or when, maybe one other exercise. Again, I'm just giving you some practical applications from the sermon. Try for a week to be nice to everybody, to say nice things about everybody. Heck, try for a day. Try for one day to only say nice things about other people. I bet you $100 you can't do it. Somebody's going to cut you off. Somebody is going to throw something at you at the mall. Somebody, somebody's going to not call you back. Somebody's going to turn in the wrong form, y'all, and your, your heart's going to go, curse you. It's all of grace, y'all. It's all of grace. Feel it this morning. We have been given the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have hope. We have hope. That's what Abraham and Sarah wanted more than anything else. Hope. It's not always going to be like this. I'm not always going to be this way. God is actually at work in my life. He's changing me. He's making me more like Jesus. My prayer for us as a congregation is that the grace of God would bring the joy of God so that we could become the people of God. It's not going to be your cleverness that gets you fixed. It's going to be the grace of God pouring in the joy of God bringing you to Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate the fact that you're the star of the story. The story of Abraham his journey of calling and of sending his family into a new place. Lord, this journey of Sarah and her coming to finally believe that you can come through on your promises, Lord. Lord, this story is about you, ultimately. It's about the fact that there is a power in this universe 
that sticks to your word and that's going to come through for us. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning, including myself, Lord, that are feeling a little bit of hopelessness, that are feeling like you're not going to come through, Lord. I pray that you would barge through the door and remind them that you always fulfill your promises, that you will always be near, and that you do it because of your grace. Lord, may our hearts be enraptured by you today. And Lord, may our joy be real. May we rejoice always in Jesus. Work this in us through your Holy Spirit who is with us. And Lord, I pray that we would be contagious folks because of what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the ways that we get to see the grace of God, once again, on display, is through this meal that we get to take together. This meal, honestly, is a display of grace. That's all it is. It's one more picture, visible picture, of the fact that you did not come to God because you're clever. You came to God because He found you, and He pursues you, and then, on top of that, He died for you. That's what he was telling his disciples in the upper room. He was saying, look, I'm going to do something for you. I'm I'm going to break my body for you. The Father is going to turn his face away for you. And I want you to eat this meal over and over and over and remember that truth. Every week, remember that truth. So I break it this morning, just as Jesus did. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat now in remembrance of me. And y'all, if you have not come to the point where you have trusted the grace of Christ for your salvation, we ask that you take just a minute right now to let these pieces of bread pass by, but go to Him. Go to Him with your whole heart because He is ready to give grace this morning. But if you have received His grace, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, celebrate again because that joy is for you and it's going to be with you. Let's partake. Can I get... Yeah, there they are. Boom. Thanks, guys. Let me get it. Get it.